Welcome to Security Heroes, a podcast by Athena Security. We share real life stories to help connect you to real heroes in the security world. I'm your host, Lisa Falzone. Warning, the following recording contains potentially disturbing content. Listener discretion advised. Joining me today is Joshua Broman, the Deputy Chief of Police at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, UMMC. Joshua is a security and public safety expert who graduated from the FBI's National Academy and has a master's in law enforcement and public safety leadership. His career has run the gamut from Gulfport Police Department Commander to SWAT Crisis Negotiator to Homeland Security Division Director, and through it all, his dedication to public safety and management abilities have made him the kind of leader that people look to in a crisis. Joshua, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you. All right. So uh, what initially drew you into working in security? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're kind of reading over my bio, um, I still think of myself as just a cop. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they kind of like, well, no, no, no. You know, you've done a lot of things. Um, but for me, both my parents were in the military. Uh, it was a very selfless, um, you know, service before self um, and, and that structure. And so through my early 20s, I, I, you know, I got out into the uh, the civilian world and, and I struggled uh, to find that same structure and that same uh, camaraderie and that just same Everything made sense. Uh, so I looked at law enforcement and, and, and public safety, and it just clicked very quickly, started to go up through the ranks. Um, and then the transition here now um, at, at UMMC is a little bit different, where it's a college and the state's only one level one trauma center. Um, and so a lot of the issues and a lot of the problems that that we face are a little bit different than I faced in a municipality. So um the why has changed over the years, you know, from being a 25 year old going to catch bad guys and, and save the world uh, to now I'm 40. Uh, I've got an eight year old at the house. And so, I mean, it's just the whys are always evolving. Uh, but now it's just to ensure that the, uh, you know, the future uh, med students and future dentists and doctors are able to be come to school and be safe and secure. And then make sure the patients and the families that are visiting here um, that are all in a state of crisis don't have to worry about that safety and security aspect. Yeah, I mean, you're still getting rid of bad guys, right? Yeah, it's just not a little bit uh, different. Not not on the front lines, you know. You don't you don't get a uh, you don't come home dirty. Uh, you don't come home with with those same uh, battle scars. They're they're different. You catch your battle scars in a boardroom, uh, as opposed to on the street. Uh, you know, when the higher up you get. Uh, but yeah, you are still uh, impacting, and you are still um, you know touching lives in, in various uh, yeah. capacities. Yeah, I mean, I think. This is part of the podcast is like what we want to highlight is, you know, when you do catch a bad guy and the heroic, you know, the heroic influences that you have or anyone on your team. Um, if you want to talk about any specific stories, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, we we see a lot. Uh, Jackson struggles uh, with with violence, like a lot of major cities right now. And um, per capita has has had some uh, pretty high murder rates, uh, led the country, I believe, last year and, and is towards the top uh, in 2023 as well. Um, so we see a lot of that violence in our emergency room when they are um, shot, they end up here. And that includes our law enforcement officers. And so we had an officer last year that was killed. Uh, and then at the same time as that officer is being brought to UMMC, um, a victim of a drive-by shooting shows up in a personal vehicle. And so to watch our officers and to watch our clinical staff switch from, you know, one of their own 
is falling in the line of duty to switching right over to providing emergency care. And, and, you know, we have the entire neighborhood showing up for that incident. And as a deputy chief, it makes me very proud to watch those officers be able to switch from a moment of grief right back to public service and ensuring the campus is safe and ensuring that crime scene, that vehicle is processed correctly. I mean, that was truly remarkable. It, it made me very proud. And uh, those are the moments that, you know, they, when they step up and knock it out of the park, it just really makes you proud as a law enforcement or a public safety leader. Yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry that happened. Um, any specific names you wanted to give credit to? Oh, well, actually, that that entire shift, um, I hate to to list names and miss somebody, but uh, yeah, yeah. I did sit down that night and uh, and, and emailed them all out. Um, uh, just it was funny because I had one officer. She she didn't really feel like she was doing a lot uh, standing on the corner directing traffic. And I caught her caught her kind of playing in the dirt. And I said, what are you doing? She's like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And what she didn't realize is where her role was so pivotal is that she was ensuring the ambulance traffic could still get on campus. You know, and she didn't right. feel like she was mixed but it was so vital uh there's another right. officer um he, he he was assigned to just rove and wasn't in the mix and again afterwards he's like yo chief i didn't feel like i was involved uh but it, it's very important when you have these critical incidents to manage your personnel and sometimes you got to have some folks on the bench in the event that another crisis rolls down the line uh, mm -hmm. because everybody who comes here um is, is in a state of emergency yeah, totally. So how have you, you kind of talked about this, but how has public safety changed since you started 15 years ago? I think law enforcement um, has gone through a, a series of evolutions. Um, so uh -huh. when I started, um, first you had the Obama administration. I mean, uh, President Obama was elected into office, I think, like four days into my career. Uh -huh. And so uh, there was a lot of policy changes. There was the uh, the um, you had you know, everything from Ferguson, uh, George Floyd, you've had pandemic, you've had, uh, you know, on the Gulf Coast, we had several large hurricanes, you know, you had Katrina, which was prior to my hire, but it impacted the Gulf Coast, you had the BP oil spill. Uh, so there was just a lot of things that have, uh, when I look back, I'm like, wow, you know, it, it, the game has changed a lot. Um, oh. One of the things, and not to be the, the old timer, uh, but one of the things that I, I see is, we're struggling. A lot of our newer officers are struggling to connect face to face. And that's really where law enforcement and security uh, can make that impact. Um, no one calls us to exchange gifts. No one calls us to to tell us we're how great of a job we're doing. They call us because there's an emergency. They call us because there's a crisis. Right. So being able to talk to someone face to face. Uh, so we've invested a lot of time and energy into, you know, verbal uh, skill sets and you know maintaining eye contact and listening and, and really yeah. truly uh, a lot of these crises that people call us to it's just because no one's listening to them you know yeah. whether it's the public works department who cut off their water and they didn't listen to their crisis all the way to the doctor or the nurse who's who's telling them what the next steps are um we come in a lot of times and we just allow that sounding board so i think if anything's changed it's um more focused on the empathy and compassion and listening as opposed to that, that I don't want to say old school, but that just, you know, Hey, go out there, serve and protect, you know, there's a lot more uh, focus on those interpersonal uh, and relationship skills. 
Yeah. So do you, do you notice like the next generation, like lacking those skills or? It's, I don't want to say lack of confrontation, but a lot of their interactions are, are distance online. Um, one thing that, you know, is kind of unique. If you think about, I mean, when I was in school, you know, you would get in a, a fight and the principal would call you in and, and you would shake hands and, there'd be a detention and that would be pretty much the end of it. Now when children right. or kids get in fights, I mean, it can result in, in impacting their entire academic career. They can get expelled from schools. Yeah. And a lot of that is, is a result of school shootings and that, but I mean, we have officers who, when they show up, they've never been in a physical altercation. They've never touched someone in, in that manner. So when you're telling them, Hey, go arrest someone, or when you're involved in a fight or you're involved in an altercation, you don't want that to be the first time. So again, a lot of the training elements uh, whether it's jujitsu, um, hand to hand, whether it's just being comfortable with somebody being in your space, mm -hmm. uh, that's a skill set that a lot of young people don't have, and so that's things that we're trying to focus on, and our academies are focusing on, and on trying to develop those skill sets. Yeah. So, what what would you recommend to prep for that? You mentioned jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. Just putting yourself in in stressful situations, right. putting yourself. And, and making yourself vulnerable in a controlled environment, um, not being worried about, you know, other other people's opinions. And, and really, you know, if you're if you struggle with uh, physical fitness, putting yourself out there in, in a physical fitness area, if you struggle with communication or eye contact, yeah. um, you know, sign up for a, uh, a public speaking class, you know, get in front of people, get reps. Uh, I, yeah. mean, I remember when I was when I was the public information officer. I mean, that was trial by fire. There's, there's cameras and reporters are asking you questions, but I feel comfortable in front of a TV camera now, whereas a lot of people don't. And that was just because I made myself vulnerable and I, and I went out there and, and I, I sought those experiences. So be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to fail. Totally. I love that advice. Um, so you've gone from FBI Academy to SWAT crisis negotiator to Homeland Security to now UMMC. To you, does this represent one long career path or a shift or in focus? Uh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, that's yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it's a long career path and it, it is stepping stones. And I'll tell you, the FBI National Academy for me, um, it let me know that I was capable at competing on a national stage. I was it, it really just, you know, you always have that level of imposter syndrome. And, you know, when you go to a patrol sergeant, a patrol lieutenant, and you work your way up, you know, those other men and women on the police force in the community, they're looking to you to have the answer for every crisis, no matter mm -hmm. what it is. You're, you're the police. You're supposed to know how to solve it. And yeah. so there's always that, that element. But going to the, the National Academy and connecting with other people and realizing that, um, you know, the, the guy who or gal who's running uh, LAPD has the same problem as the guy in rural Kentucky you right. know, who has a, a department of two people. And so it, it made me realize that, hey, you know, it's time to push myself. It's time to go out and seek other challenges and be vulnerable again. Mm -hmm. And I'm still evolving. And, and I don't, again, I always joke, I don't know what I'll be when I grow up, but I'll continue to push the envelope, continue to, to challenge myself and, and see where, you know, see where I end up. Well, it seems like you're going to protect the good people from bad guys still. That seems like a general theme, right? Yes, ma'am. I, I think that's going to be a long-term, long-term goal and mission. Yeah. So which of these jobs made you feel like you were dealing with constant danger? Uh, they're, they're, they've all been fun. So uh, I tell you, the real switch for me was when my daughter was born. 
Um, the, the game changed a little bit. I was in uh, the traffic division. Uh, I was on a motorcycle for the police department. I mean, I was living the, the dream. Um, and then it, it, the game changes uh, because now there's there's some, you know, I was married. I'm still married to my wife Been 10 years, you know, but it's it's different, you know, when you, when you have kids in the mix. And so yeah. even now, you know, she I make sure I get my kiss every morning and, you know, and you just don't know. And uh, having right. having been to a lot of those funerals and, and seen those families, I always want to make sure. So um, they all carry a different element of danger. Uh, but to say which one was the most dangerous, um, I mean, I would have to just say the time in traffic just because I was, you know, you're standing on the roadway, you're standing in traffic and you're dealing with a lot of different people. You're cycling through hundreds of people right. a day. And so just the analytics are, are not always in your favor. Yeah, totally. What high stakes situations have you faced as a SWAT crisis negotiator? Yeah, so there's kind of two that really come to mind. Um, one uh, that was probably uh, the most difficult for me on a personal level. Um, there was a, a situation in Gulfport where a um, individual had killed a, um, a mother and a child and a very, very young child had, a, had escaped from the home. Uh, I was very quick on the scene and um, was placed with the child because we were still looking for the suspect. And so I spent some time with the child and um, the dad was a member of the clergy. And so when he got there and they told him what happened, um, he just kind of kind of broke. And so I had to tell the young child, uh, I believe he was six or seven. I had to tell him that, you know, his mom had had passed away. And that really, you know, as a protector, and as somebody who, you know, that really hurt because I felt, you know, not only did um, did I let him down and granted, there's nothing I could have done to prevent it. Right. Like, right. It just but it, you feel like, man, I, I let this kid down. Right. Uh, but then a few, a few days later, I went to the funeral and, you know, I saw him and, and he come running up to me and he was like, you know, my mommy and, and my brother are are in heaven and everything's OK. And he was happy. And it was like, oh, OK, kind of restored that to me. Like, OK, like. I still have a job to do. I can't, I can't sit on this. I got to get back out there. Right. And then as a, as a true, like on the, on the phone, uh, crisis negotiator, uh, there's been a few different incidents, but I think what I, what I learned through all of those and, and talking to those people that, you know, the SWAT team has surrounded their house and they're on the phone with us is that nobody's listened to them. And, mm. and a lot of negotiation is just, listening to that person who is who is at such a state of crisis that it's resulted in 30 or 40 fully armed men and women surrounding their their life and you know and, and you're you're listening to things that are all the way back to their childhood it's amazing to see how similar they are to to yourself a lot of times and the things that they're mm -hmm. dealing with and that one or two resources or there was one or two people in your life that impacted you and it kept things together for you at that point in time. So um, I think those, I know that the, the second answer is kind of vague, but there's just, there, every crisis is, uh, is taxing in its own way. Yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing. Um, what else does the deputy chief of police at UMMC do? Like walk me through like day in the life and just some of the, anything you want to share about that? Yeah. Um, we always joke in law enforcement, the deputy chief is the working chief. Um, but yeah, you kind of catch, uh, you catch a lot. Um, yeah. It's maintaining, yeah, maintaining the day-to-day -day operations uh, of the department. 
Um, and again, that's vague in and of itself, but it could be as simple like today, for instance, just prior to our, our conversation, um, there was some issues with the ER, uh, clinical staff, um, you know, they, they had some, uh, misconceptions about what our team was doing. Our officers had some misconceptions about what their team's doing. So, um, you know, I talk about listening. I've said communication a lot of times, uh, but my job is to work for the officers to ensure that they have everything that they need so they can serve the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that as I rose through the ranks, that less and less of my focus was in front of various members of the community on various crises. And it was more making sure does every officer have the training that they need to be successful? Do they have the equipment they need to be successful? Right. Are we making a good budget? Are we maintaining, you know, adequate, um, you know, report software? And uh, so it's it's a, a, almost a city inside of a city, if you will. Um, and it's not always glamorous. And that's why a lot of times I, I make sure to take time to, to walk the street, if you will, and get out with them. And you kind of recharge your battery and remember um, that why. Because when you're sitting behind a computer for a couple hours and you're working on spreadsheets and budgets and it, it kind of loses its... Uh, right. It's, it's this glam, if you will. So getting back out in front of people and making sure you connect with the with the officers and the community helps kind of recharge that battery. Totally. What's the most difficult situation you've dealt with at UMMC? I think it's the it's not the maybe the glamorous answer, but it's the mm-hmm. little things is what we struggle with as uh, as security officers and as police officers. Every time there's a critical incident or a large scale incident, our team, police, fire, security, clinical, they step up and they absolutely knock it out of the park. But it's those daily, the small, small interaction where that yeah, death by a thousand cuts, if you will, that yeah. not that not going the extra mile when it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it ends up being a big deal. Uh, so again, if I'm giving advice to young security officers or young officers, um, it's every day you need to be on. Um, you know, you follow that Disney on stage or off stage, right? When you're on stage, when you're wearing that uniform and you're 10-8, you need to be on at all times because uh, just showing up on the big moments isn't what the community expects mm. or what they deserve. Yeah. What's, what's your biggest accomplishment so far at UMMC? I think it would be our behavioral response team. Um, mm-hmm. When I got here, one of the things that clinical does very, very well and medicine does very well is they love data and they love to analyze things and they like to make very, very detailed uh, decisions. Whereas in law enforcement, a lot of times we have, uh, you know, one eighth of the information and we have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And so I got here and there was a lot of meetings and a lot of conversation around workplace violence and how the numbers were up. Um, and again, for me as a, as a, a cop, uh, mm-hmm. I was like, we got to do something quick. We got to make a decision. So we threw together, in a sense, a street crimes unit or a PROACT unit, um, but it was a behavioral focus. And so uh, we started a pilot program with two officers and their job, plain clothes, uh, was to act very similar to a street crimes unit or a narcotics unit, but it had a mental health focus. So they would come in and they would look at, hey, these patients or these families or these students are having behavioral issues or crisis issues or mental health mm-hmm. issues. Let's go see what's going on with them. And sometimes it, it was funny. It was just something as simple as moving a food tray or I don't like yellow jello. I want green jello. 
okay, fine, we'll help you out with that. And then right. that those little things when, when people are in crisis are a big deal. And so our right. behavioral response team, we've been able to re reduce workplace violence incidents and panic alarm incidents over the last two years, actually back to COVID numbers, uh, which is impressive when you think about how locked down the hospital systems were during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm interested to see what 2023 or sorry, rather 2024 brings. Yeah. Uh, but we pre we presented our behavioral response team to uh, the IECP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police last year in San Diego. And we had a lot of hospital systems reach out and we've shared everything. Uh, we have we have no problem giving that roadmap out to other departments. So I would encourage anybody if they're interested to, to reach out to me and uh, and we'll get that. It, it, all the data, all the setup, everything we have, I want people to share this model. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And for anyone that's like looking to set that up? Yeah. So our, our full team now consists of four officers. Uh, there's somebody here seven days a week uh, mm -hmm. from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And that data set really came from looking at when does our workplace violence take place? And the numbers seemed to start rising around 10 a.m. And then they started falling right around 10 p.m. So we brought them in an hour ahead of time. So they're able to pull all the police reports from the night before, see if there's any patients that are having issues. We touch base with our clinical staff to see what's going on, if there's any patients or families that maybe are having uh, some, some conflict. Those officers immediately go there. Now, again, they're, they're in street clothes. They're not wearing the normal police uniform or security uniform, and they come in and they just connect with people on their level. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be someone who had, who dropped out of middle school and your mom had a heart attack. When a physician walks in and is talking to you at a extremely high level, they don't always understand. And some people, when they don't understand, they react uh, yeah. at, at, in anger. So this team, uh, they have, uh, kind of a free reign to to navigate the hospital system and and go and I mean I remember one day they they sat and watched uh, SpongeBob with one patient for about 35 45 minutes cuz that's what he needed to mm -hmm. to calm down you know so right. they're not on a normal patrol schedule and that autonomy allows them to spend that extra 5 or 10 minutes with these people in crisis to uh to help alleviate that and uh, if you have time, I have one more uh, thing that we did that is really going to have long-term impact. Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, so we uh, we partnered with our uh, school of nursing, and we we noticed that they do a lot of simulations, both school of nursing and school of medicine. They do a lot of simulations, but they're all clinical-based. There is no workplace violence simulations. So we partnered with the school of nursing. Uh, we developed four scenarios. Our officers are the role players, and we use real incidents that have taken place in the hospital system. We record it just like they do in their hospital simulations. And we run the nursing students through these workplace violence. So it may be a domestic violence situation where a patient turns and then tries to attack the nurse. It may be a mental health right. patient. It may be a juvenile. But the whole concept and how I really sold it to them was, in a sense, it's a vaccination, right? You're getting exposure to this. So the first time a patient tries to hit you, it's not the first time you've experienced it in a safe environment. We talked about yeah. not being afraid to fail. And so the school of nursing has done this. Now we're on our second year. The students love it. And it, the other kind of silver lining for our department is 
it allows these nursing students to build relationships with our officers prior to coming to work at the hospital. So then when there's incidents in the hospital system, they know us. They know us from nursing school. And we have that rapport and we're able to get a lot more information exchange and we're able to, you know, solve these problems on a a lot bigger uh, scale. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it sucks that you have to teach nurses that. And I mean, I know that they've been dealing with a lot of the violence. They take like the brunt of most of the hospital violence. But uh, I mean, it'd be better to be prepared, right, than not. And sometimes it's just simple things as body language. You know, when you enter a room, making sure you're standing up straight. Don't wear your stethoscope around your neck. Don't have little things that we can kind of critique them on to where when they walk into that hospital, they're confident not only in healthcare, but they're confident in their personal safety. And they also know what's not acceptable because, you know, what when they get to the floor, there may be a different expectation of the other staff of what they feel is the acceptable you know, definition of workplace violence. We want to set that tone very early that your personal space, your safety, you know, that's decided by you. And here's how you can vocalize it. And here's how you can protect yourself. Yeah, totally. So you you mentioned like tracking the data. Do you use anything special to track the data? Uh, we like use our, yeah, yeah. Huh? yeah it's our, we use our record management system um, okay. and, you know, good old Excel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Nothing high speed. It's a pad and paper, sometimes a calculator. Um, and, and my wife's an accountant. So sometimes I'll call her to say, can you double check my my math here, my formulas? Right. And she knocks it out for me. But um, I think a lot of times um, we, we, law enforcement and security, we tend to overcomplicate uh, things sometimes. And yeah. a lot of times the solution is is, is very simple. Right. Yeah, I know we were surprised when we put our system in, we were surprised that people weren't tracking like how many, you know, weapons were brought in or how, you know, and so just having a simple way to track that is, I think, good. Are you excited about any technology or have you guys implemented any technology that's helped keep people safer? Yeah, we we have some threat. Uh, threat management software that that we're really uh, excited about. Obviously, uh, license plate readers are always a game changer for us. Um, on a personal note, I think that the AI and how it's developing is going to help. Um, you know, there's companies out there looking at AI reviewing body cam and alerting you to, you know, anomalies or alerting you to, I mean, there's someone that are writing police reports and then the officer just goes back and verifies everything uh, because, the reality is, you know, the it's difficult to hire people right now for law enforcement. That's across the country. It's been that way for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So at some point, your number is your number. Uh, so it's enhancing our officers' ability to be efficient, uh, manage these scenes quickly and correctly. And, you know, you think about AI in a large, larger scale, I mean, like your FedEx, UPS, and these delivery companies and how they use these algorithms to deliver packages. Why? Why is that not how we're dispatching calls and why is that not how we're hey officer here's the fastest way to get to this house here's the fact you know things that our officers they're having to do on their own so i think there's going to be a lot of enhancements over the years that are going to allow officers to be more efficient more effective and uh it'll take a lot of that strain and the wear and tear uh, off of us in the field yeah so just thank you so much for all of your advice just all the information you've given audience um just in conclusion what piece of advice would you give to all law enforcement or security personnel? Stay humble. Continue to grind every single day. Every single day, you've got to improve in some facet, uh, whether it's health, education, 
uh, fitness, uh, family. A lot of us uh, will neglect family, but that'd be it. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank yeah. you so much. It was awesome to have you. It's so great to hear what you do and um, excited to promote it. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Security Heroes is brought to you by Athena Security. To find out more about Athena Security and how we help save lives through our weapon detection solution, visit www.athena-security.com. And then make sure to search for Security Heroes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Athena, thanks for listening.